0: Welcome to The Spawn Chunks, episode number 101 for Monday, August 10th, 2020. My name is Johnny, but the internet knows me as Pixlriffs, and joining me as always is Joel Duggan. Hi Joel! Hello, and if
1: you would like to hear more about global warming, bald heads and beards, you should listen to The Render Distance, that's the pre-show conversation that Johnny and I have every week, and you can find that at patreon.com slash chunks
0: yes i hope everyone enjoyed listening to the render distance last week for everybody who missed episode 100 what are you doing you fools go back and listen to it because we actually released the full render distance the the kind of pre and post show that we do uh for the spawn chunks uh, as the full episode in the main feed it's up on youtube as well and it was my first experience using the uh youtube feature that breaks the episode down into sections you can actually click on certain areas of the bar and it will tell you what that segment of the show is by putting timestamps in the video description. It's actually quite a neat feature. So if you uh, want to skip the round distance because you've heard it already or because you just want to skip ahead to the main discussion topic, you can skip around in the video that way. I probably won't do that for every show going forward simply because I feel like most of the time we only have a couple of segments in the show. But I yeah. uh, wanted to give that a try because it seems like a, a neat feature of the platform.
1: I feel like less people want to skip through the podcast to different sections and perhaps some of our listeners, especially people that are supporting us on Patreon that do listen to the Render Distance that maybe don't have time for the full two hour you know, show at the moment and just want to get to the nuts and bolts of, of the Minecraft content. Uh, can want to skip ahead and i put they're not links but i do list the start and end times of the spawn chunks in the render distance on the patreon blog post so it'll say something like you know spawn chunk starts at 13 minutes and 45 so you can just skip your podcast player ahead to that point uh, and get to the intro music and stuff and then we go from there
0: mm-hmm. uh, what have you up to in minecraft this week how's minecraft treating you these days
1: well i have been spending a little bit of extra time in the nether surprise surprise and the netherite halls continue and i'm actually getting pretty happy with the build i think getting the pillars in this past weekend was a big help um so uh, i'm throwing some uh, pictures in our live discord right now so if you're a patron and you want to listen live on the show you also get some images right away uh the um the endless darkness is a feature i'm actually quite enjoying uh unfortunately it means that i have to double the length of the hall (laughs) Mm -hmm. um there's currently a pillar every five blocks and there's nine or i think there's nine pillars maybe more and i have to make it 18 either way it's a good it's a good 90 something blocks long uh we're gonna have to make it longer than that Uh, but it does look very cool I'm, i'm pretty happy with that part of it um this past sunday though I was struggling with the wall design which is something else i need to do to kind of complete the look and start to really understand how this is going to feel when you're walking through it it's it's going to be a very dark build so i'm not putting a ton of detail in the wall but again the exercise in working with blackstone continues and continues to be challenging as i'm trying to do more with it on the walls than i was with the floor uh because this is the most i've ever used um i do like the side texture of blackstone it does suffer unfortunately from that minecraft problem of being very repetitive when you put a big wall of it together yeah uh so what i've started to do was uh, a tip that we got way back on episode 10 from uh wells knight which was uh making sure that you add depth to your builds uh design detail and depth with the 3ds that he he shared with us and uh, so i've been adding Uh, depth to some of the flatter sections and then putting small like little wall furnace wall ember burning things that um, just kind of give a little bit of light um, in in the in the spaces between the pillars the idea is that I want the pillars to be the main feature but I need to light them somehow otherwise you won't be able to see them Mm -hmm. and um, unfortunately magma blocks don't give off enough light so I'm feeling that pinch of needing a dim lighting option and i understand that uh soul uh fire lanterns or soul lanterns will give off nine as opposed to the full 15 uh but then you've got to hang those somewheres so and i don't want anything blue in this so i'm having to hide the soul lantern behind a wall which will let the light through but then it's so far back that I'm not sure if I'm getting really nine like you're still only getting like light level 5 by the time it actually hits the hole. Yeah. So I'm struggling with where to put that kind of stuff because the way that they've changed uh, slabs is that all slab the bottom slabs will now block light the way that you would expect a full block to. Yes. Yeah, they did. Um yeah. So I, the other thing that I could possibly do which is it's it's I I'm toying with but I didn't have time to do it the other day uh, which was to put lava in there instead of uh instead of um magma and just have the lava be far enough back and have it be either not visible or just somewhere where it can be the the light that actually hits the hall ends up being lower around nine or or so Mm -hmm. um but i'll have to play with that and i'm not sure how much of it i want to do because i think i kind of have to do the length of the hall first and then toy around with where i put lights by using things like torches really quickly just to kind of test to see like well i don't want to put lava every you know 10 blocks because then if it's too bright it's like well that's a lot of work that you've wasted and all that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. i'm i'm looking forward to finishing it and and it's nice to have a big project to just kind of like i don't have to worry about what i'm doing today i just have to log on and continue the, the slog but i did feel myself getting pretty frustrated with blackstone by the end of my stream on sunday i was like yeah it's time to and we're done <laughs> i'm done mm-hmm. for the day yeah. i don't want to work with this anymore that um is so yeah
0: I like mm. uh looking at these screenshots which I presume you're going to add to the uh the show notes this week yes. the um the noticeable flecks of lava dripping from the ceiling uh so <laughs> I I I presume most of that is just a lava lake above that like and presumably one block above that if you're getting any of the drip uh particle effects is that something yes. is that something you considered doing as an effect for the build or was that just a circumstance of where you happened to build this in the nether
1: Oh no that was that was a uh that was a feature like as soon as i realized where the center of the world was so we built this the vestibule for this hallway which is a slightly larger square room is centered around the one one coordinate you know x z yeah um right underneath our nether portal but of course way way down uh, the floor of this is at 13 and a half i think so the ceiling is at around 20 Give or take yeah um, but there is a large lava lake uh that continues the length of most of the hall and i think another one just on the other side of a small island uh, above it so um yeah no I, I and i've done this before i've gone underneath a lava lake to create a path to the um the gold farm and i've got trips that happen in there no this was 100 percent the 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 intent of the build and You can't capture them in screenshots. It's very difficult. You'd have to really record a video for a couple of seconds to realize just how many. (laughs) Yeah, it's like
0: like trying to take a photograph of rain, really, where you're only going to get the the full effect. Is why uh, movie makers have to use rain machines to get it to show up on camera half the time as well. But, there's, um, a,
1: there's a video, there's a VOD on my Twitch that people can go check out if they want to see the, well, one, the design process and all the iterations that I went through before I arrived at this, and also the, lots of lava dripping. Uh, the, um, the, the, the sacrifice there is that last weekend when I was doing the ceiling, I died three times. <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's the <laughs> it's the other problem with working around that much lava and it's, yeah, I feel you because uh, I've been working on a few projects here and there in the nether and probably doing an equivalent amount of digging now to what you're doing simply because the main project for me right now is the museum archive in the survival mm. guide world and I am basically trying to make a storage system that will contain everything. Um, so I'm digging out a large area of the, the overworld, which is a little bit less perilous than the nether, but, um, basically digging out a large area underground that's housing a storage system with, I think, upwards of 800 item filters, I think is probably where I'm going with it, because of the amount of non-stackable items there are in the game that are probably just going to end up being shuffled towards the end, but I really want this to be a system that I can just throw anything in and then the item filters will sort it all and it'll all just go around a giant ice road for five minutes before it all, you know, either finds a chest or ultimately ends up despawning, which hopefully none of it will by the end. It's it's quite the task and is also the reason why uh, with the heat and not really wanting to spend too much time on it, I've just been relaxing, uh, putting the replay mod on to record it as a time lapse and doing that in short bursts it's a lot of redstone though and i'm finding that obviously without i i don't really have a very effective witch farm i have a witch farm but i don't really feel like AFKing at it for any great length of time i've been trading all of my redstone from villagers for this build and it takes a lot of trading in order to do that it would take even longer just just you know with a decent witch farm but uh getting that amount of redstone is is a struggle and even having gone mining for it a few times, I'm, I'm feeling the pinch a little bit because it's comparators, it's repeaters, it's redstone dust. Also having, I guess, to craft all of the hoppers, luckily having a decent iron farm works for that. But that is that is my current pet project uh, for the museum. And the museum itself is going quite well. I have an idea of the floor plan. I have built uh, the central hall uh, floor and the central, like the centerpiece of this main hall which is the ender dragon skeleton that i originally built nice. on decidedly vanilla season three um it's got a fun mechanism in the um the lower jaw of the dragon where if you fire an arrow up into a button uh it splashes a lingering potion in there and you get the dragon's breath effect which i think i, talk- <laughs> I, I talked about that on a previous podcast i think but i i really liked that from the original design i did in decidedly vanilla and i really wanted to 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 use that again and I want to put in more interactive exhibits like that where there are just like buttons you can push and some sort of fun effect happens. Um, so that's, that's that's what I've been doing lately and the archive is probably going to take shape as the museum does in a way. There are going to be areas of that that I will remember I need to store particular items a certain way or that I'll need to make sure that certain mobs are contained in certain areas and have to keep some stuff in the nether and some stuff in the overworld and we'll we'll see how that all comes together.
1: So I'm behind on your videos but I love the thumbnail of the uh dragon skeleton that looks fantastic.
0: Yeah, and it's it's not going to be entirely accurate to the dragon's block model. The one I did a while back used uh, we it actually had a rib cage of sorts because there is a fatter section of the dragon's body which I just didn't think really worked for my vision of what this was going to be and I mm-hmm. kind of explain it away as you know how um by by most accounts uh early um, would they be paleontologists if they study dinosaurs? Or archae it's, it's archaeologists that are studying human remains, right? And paleontologists, yeah, pale- are the ones
1: paleontologists. Who- yep.
0: yeah. Um, how they they didn't quite know which bones went with which dinosaurs, and so a lot of the early dinosaur skeletons that they reconstructed were chimeras. You know, they were like bits from one dinosaur, at the head of a dinosaur, and the the back half of another and um you know they ended up with stuff that wasn't necessarily true to how they would have been i like to imagine the people curating this museum as though it wasn't me have done a similar thing and they've made the ender dragon's head too big the body too small they've imagined that it has bones where it doesn't and the tail is different and it it's kind of all relying on hearsay because they might not have actually seen the ender dragon themselves and i i kind of like the idea that it's not entirely accurate that there are still some things that because of their misinformation or something they've got wrong. It's like little bits of law creeping in here and there for that.
1: Uh, I I mean and you could also like the lore could also be like well I mean if they're in the overworld then maybe it's not an ender dragon at all maybe it's the ender dragon's cousin maybe it's an ender drake and they they look different you know it could
0: be an ender wyvern or something Yeah,
1: yeah 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 exactly um where where in your world is the museum and how does it relate to the rest of the lore like I know that you've got the ravine that's powering that's steam powering the town and all that kind of stuff but how is like is the museum part of that or is it further away.
0: By design it had to be further away simply because I wanted to include an end portal in there because it was the only way I could showcase end portal blocks and you know not being able to move them having to spawn them in using creative which I don't really want to do the only other option right. was to build one over a stronghold. So I found the three strongholds that were closest to my spawn point. Uh so this one is about 2000 blocks away from the spawn area which is where I've built my main town and yeah it's about 2000 blocks east of the town it is actually very close to my drowned farm for which i found a fairly landlocked portion of a river uh and built the drowned farm up in the sky above that and yeah i i'm a little bit worried that the the museum is going to end up being so big that it might end up incorporating the drowned farm into it at some point but then again that just becomes hey here is a a way of showcasing spawning mechanics for that particular kind of mob maybe it makes sense to do that but uh yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll see how big the project ends up becoming, but there's enough space around it. There is a a pretty sizable plains and forested area that doesn't take too much to flatten out, which is what I'm doing for the majority of this. I'm planning on landscaping the area around it afterwards, but it's, uh, it's taking shape so far. It is going to be much bigger than its current incarnation is. The footprint I've drawn out has just the basic, here is some, you know, stone and wood and uh you know there's some area for trees and how stuff grows naturally versus how you can turn it into crafting ingredients and stuff like that there's going to be all manner of stuff in there about how each of the components breaks down and is used for something else so it's it's going to be a, a warren of different things with multiple floors and that kind of stuff eventually but my ambitions for this are quite grand and i am hoping that i don't end up getting burnt out on it over the next few weeks and months because i think when it's finished it could look pretty spectacular nice so let's move on to the news Uh, we have a snapshot or two Uh, this is all the pre-releases for Java Edition 1.16.2 we had a pre-two, a pre-three and not one, but two release candidates Uh, the last of which just came out on Twitter uh, thanks to Lime posting about it literally 10 minutes before we started the show Uh, so that was very good timing on Slice's part um in the pre 2 release we had crimson and warped roots no longer requiring shears when mined maybe a bit of feedback about that uh in pre 3 it was mostly bug fixes for stability and uh the release candidate uh hinted at the fact that the estimated release date would be tomorrow which is tuesday august 11th 2020 and uh the second release candidate i think was just a few minor bug fixes here and there just a couple of things that didn't quite get tweaked right from release candidate one Uh, all of the blog posts will be linked in the show notes so you can go and check out the change logs for those if you want to in other snapshot news uh jeb has gone back to combat test snapshots which he's been sharing with the community on reddit uh On account of wanting to move the the combat stuff forward now that one sixteen seems more or less finalized uh we have the full change log for that once again linked via the reddit post in the show notes uh and I'll read a few of the changes here although. Um, there's quite a lot (laughs) to include here, so I'll just kind of pick out a couple of highlights. But it's worth reading this section at the top, which says, Again, there are some radical changes, which means we're still not ready to move on to Phase 2 of the tests, which means fewer system changes and more focused on number balancing. If you have a keen eye, you will notice that we are slowly progressing more and more towards something similar to 1.8 Combat. But recent Twitter comments are saying that Combat version 5 was great, so he was trying to find the sweet spot. Um... So there are a few changes to the aim assist uh, that have been added in previous combat test snapshots, removing the coyote time effect, uh, about which more, I think, in a previous episode. Um, Entities with bounding boxes smaller than 0.9 of a block were inflated for targeting purposes to be 0.9 of a block so basically the hitboxes for things like rabbits, bats, endermites, silverfish if they weren't already just under the size of a block think about the size of a block of soul sand or a honey block uh, they were basically larger so they were easier to hit uh, making it slightly easier to bullseye those pesky bats Uh, swords were changed to always have sweeping attacks again and axes to have it with a sweeping enchantment Uh, missing a hit now only puts a four tick delay until the next attack regardless of the weapon. So if you hit something, the cooldown timer applies. If you whiff and you end up missing your target, you can attack them again pretty quickly, making combat a little faster. The base reach of weapons was increased to three, which was previously 2.5, and it removed bonus reach for delayed attacks. Shields will now only protect up to 5 damage for melee attacks, but it's still 100% against projectiles, and shields recovered faster after an attack. Uh, The axe enchantment previously named chopping was changed to cleaving, and it was removed, uh, and, and sorry, other enchantments were removed from the enchantment table for axes, so they could no longer get sharpness from the enchantment table. It felt apparently a bit better fitting to have a rare cleaving enchantment than a common sharpness enchantment. A couple of notable changes to bows and projectiles, player, mo- uh, player momentum sorry, was added to thrown projectiles but only in the direction you were aiming and bow and arrow accuracy now slowly decreases the longer you pull the bow and you'll actually start to see a kind of shaking animation that starts to play as though the player is having difficulty pulling the arrow back that far before you fire and the longer you hold that the less accurate the arrow becomes. There are changes to food and hunger, which revert the eating time to 32 ticks, which it was before. Eating was now interrupted if something hits you. Natural healing is even faster uh, for a two second period, which was three seconds. And natural healing drains food 50% slower. And by popular request, he reintroduced the rule that sprinting requires more than six points of food. Uh, A couple of other changes, including fixes to knockback and damage values on items being off by one client side. Uh, The attack indicator has been completely removed and there are a couple of changes, nerfs to sweeping edge uh, damage to adjacent mobs. Uh, Last but not least, we have... A full release for Optifine 1.16.1, which was actually released last week, but we missed it on account of having a lot of other stuff to talk about with it being our 100th episode. And on August 1st, 2020, there was a full release of Optifine 1.16.1. I'm pretty sure there will be a fairly swift release for 1.16.2 because it doesn't seem like much visually has changed either.
1: And actually to uh, jump in on the Optifine thing, uh, I've been trying it out with, you know, my well... Uh, documented um, frame stutter issues on the podcast and uh, I actually still find that the pre-release 2 of Optifine 1.16.1 works better for me not saying that 1.16.1 the full release is bad just saying that if you happen to still have issues uh, that you're trying to solve with Optifine the full release may not be what works for you you may have to sacrifice some features i think in the pre-release that anti-aliasing doesn't work and shaders don't work so it depends on what your needs are um, but you might want to explore the pre-releases if you still have trouble with it um, i don't have a lot to say about the snapshots and the um, pre-releases and the, the um, release candidates it all sounds just like bug fixes and crashes and most things are are kind of going in the way of being finalized um, how do you feel about the crimson and warped roots no longer requiring shears
0: uh, I think it's good. I don't know if that means they still require player action, like if you need to punch them to break them and you still obtain it that way instead of needing uh, shears and silk touch, but uh, it, it depends whether or not the shifting floor farm design that I figured out works. If it, if it is possible to break a block and obtain that item or if the player needs to hit them. I haven't tested this snapshot out because it seemed so minor that I figured I would just see what changes brought the uh, were brought to the full release but um yeah i wonder I'm why of... they
1: switched it back because it made sense when they did it
0: i assume it was just a um yeah a player feedback thing thinking that you know players had already prepared for things working a certain way and then having a change to that in one sixteen two for whatever reason felt like a you know uh the, the a step in the wrong direction maybe you know yeah um i i feel like it seems sort of trivial to establish these things early on and then make a sudden change to them apropos of nothing in particular like i don't know what feedback led to them realizing that they wanted to change that but either way it doesn't seem to have a profound effect on gameplay
1: given the way that 116 1 and 2 have come out i kind of think that was probably intended but they just didn't have time like i feel like some features of 116 were not ready you know well a case in point the piglin brute you know like that if you had all the time in the world that would have been released with the nether update right like that wouldn't have come later and it doesn't feel like an afterthought it feels like a a part of the update
0: as azuma speculated when we had him on the show Mm -hmm. it may be something to do with them working to strict deadlines for the bedrock edition release and obviously pairing that with java edition as well so uh, whatever the case may be it seems like the features are a little bit more refined mojang has said that 1.16.2 is likely to be the last update for the nether update release before they move on to whatever comes next and we're already seeing a lot of speculation about what exactly that's going to be no comment from this show at this time because i feel like we tend to withhold that stuff until there is actually news from mojang themselves no. but...
1: and and one thing i i want to remind people too is that we don't have an exact date now they they canceled the in-person event but um true to course the digital event that where mojang announces new minecraft features and new plans is usually september Yes. So Mine, Minecon Mine, Live, Minecon Live. You know when that happens? If we start to get, hopefully, once one sixteen is out, one sorry, one sixteen two is out, then the next little bit of news from from Mojang will be looking forward to. Hey, we've got mark your calendars. You know, September something or early October <laughs> or wh- whatever they decide to do. Um, hopefully, will give us a date where we can say, okay, well now we know when they're probably going to tell us what's coming. Yes, in um, the next thing so absolutely and here about all those biomes that they haven't updated yet <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes we will we will see we'll see what the vote brings this yep. year if they do one uh let's look at this combat test snapshot then because uh n- neither of us by our own admission are really combat focused people uh but we like to keep an eye on this stuff not least because it will ultimately have an effect on pve as well as pvp and being survival players primarily we want to see how we are going to have to defend ourselves against zombies and creepers and everything now that combat is changing obviously this is going to have a more profound effect on the pvp community and i believe it's with those players in mind that these changes are even being made um but i think one of the stuff one of the things that's going to affect me the most as an advocate for shields is that shields are now blocking a fixed amount of damage instead of the entire creeper explosion and it it did mention projectiles and melee combat it didn't necessarily mention explosive damage but i fully expect that explosive damage will be treated the same way as melee and it being sort of brute force up close damage being different to being able to stop an arrow with your shield um so i expect we'll probably still be taking a little bit of damage probably around the feet (laughs) if you can't block a full creeper explosion with your shield anymore
1: yeah, and I mean it makes sense. It 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 keeps it um well again, it kind of leans the game making it a little bit harder, you know, yeah. in the same way that the nether update um has done that. Do uh it also, I mean, how much damage does a ghast fireball do like that? Because you can block those with shields too, can't you?
0: Yeah, I'm not I'm not entirely certain how many points of damage each thing takes. I feel like it has to be pretty point blank for a creeper to do a lot of damage anyway. Mm-hmm. Um and ghasts, I think. Yeah, I, I tend to <laughs> I tend to take out ghasts before I get hit by them most of the time. I tend to, like, I, I take a preventative action on ghasts and I usually shoot them down where, whenever I see them. But I feel like, yeah, you, you'll probably take a little bit of damage here and there from from the occasional ghast fireball if you can't uh, rebound it in time. Uh, this so speaking, is
1: going to affect how I uh, deal with ghasts, actually, with the changes to the bows.
0: Yes, yes, I was going to say, speaking of that, the... Uh, The changes to bows projectiles being made more accurate in a previous combat snapshot has led to now adding in a factor where their accuracy decreases as a function of draw time that's pretty smart i think because we've seen more and more people i think argue the case that target blocks are a little bit too random to interact with right now because even if you have a fairly accurate shot you're not always going to be on target because of the variance in arrow movement And the combat snapshot improving on that meant that arrows were too accurate and there wasn't enough randomness in deciding, you know, whether or not arrows could be an easy hit or an easy miss. And so balancing that by having the longer the player draws back the arrow having a, a, an accuracy decrease in that yeah makes a lot of sense to me and while it's maybe not as accurate for archery i saw a few people complain in the comments that like i do archery and that's not necessarily how that works it's also encourages players to act more quickly and i think affecting the speed of combat is something that they are looking for here because a lot of feedback has shown that p- players think 1.9 plus combat is fairly slow so anything that speeds up the flow of combat is something that they want to look at, and this seems like a very good change to me.
1: Yeah, and it gives you a nice reason to choose between a crossbow for accuracy and a bow for um, this the higher skill set. It's almost like the crossbow is like, well, if you have a little bit of a shaky hand and you're not that great, you might not want to go with a bow. Because currently when I deal with a ghast, I tend to draw the bow back full while I'm hiding behind something. And then come out from behind it and take out the gas because I've already drawn my bow. I don't have to wait within range of the gas to draw the bow, but this will change that. Now granted, a gast is the size of a bus, so accuracy may not be mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to hit them in the eyeball, you know, like you can kind of you can kind of hit them anywhere. Um but it, I I think it'll be an interesting shift. The thing that um talking about taking PvE features and bringing them over to PvE that I think I'm going to be very annoyed by. Is six hunger bars to sprint?
0: Yeah, that's gonna yeah. drive me nuts. I I tend to eat as soon as I start losing hunger. Right now, anyway, but that's the luxury of having a plentiful supply of food. And I think, so, uh...
1: yeah, I I tend to only remember to eat when i go to sprint and i can't i'm like oh i'm at like three hunger bars i should i should probably eat up here um it's also a fun way to troll my chat room but like it's it's, but still like i mean i will get so wrapped up in building and what i'm doing i just until i go to sprint from one end of the nether hall to the other i'm just like uh why why am i not sprinting oh right i have to eat something um but yeah i feel like if that's going to happen like every time i'm down three haunches of hunger bars that's going to be annoying
0: yeah, we'll see how it balances out. I think there's still room for improvement and room for player feedback to wade in here, but we'll we'll see if a happy medium can be reached between the two. Uh, I also wanted to draw attention to, I think Cubfan tweeted about this and linked directly to a Reddit comment that he made underneath this post. Uh, where he pointed out that player momentum applying to projectile movement doesn't count on a vertical axis, it's only horizontal. So, for example, players aren't able to save themselves from getting knocked up in the air by the ender dragon by then throwing an Ender Pearl at the ground because they have too much sideways momentum and the momentum that they are rising with or falling with is not taken into account and you can't throw an Ender Pearl down faster than you are falling. Um... The counterpoint to that being, as some other people in the thread pointed out, adding downward momentum or any kind of vertical momentum to uh, enderpearl throws might prevent players from saving themselves from falling off the end island using enderpearls, because then you have downward momentum being applied to a projectile you are attempting to throw upwards. So it seems like a double-edged sword (laughs) at this point, Um, but it'll be interesting to see if they apply the kind of the, the third axis or the kind of, yeah, fifth and sixth axes to uh, that movement affecting projectiles because i feel like that's also partly the problem with aerial combat right now if anybody wants to try and shoot an arrow or throw a splash potion while they're flying with elytra calculating the trajectory of that becomes very difficult um and uh, yeah kind of needs a galaxy brain uh intellect to figure out exactly where something is going to land if you're uh, if you're trying that in a combat si- a situation yeah
1: they're more like bombs than they are arrows you're going to have to like drop them you have to kind of like shoot straight ahead, but then calculate where it's going to land.
0: Yeah, uh, exactly. And, and often one... if, you, if you're too close to the ground, you end up risking splashing yourself with the same potion more often than not.
1: Right. One of the things that I think is, is a potential solution for the enderpearl issue is that well, arrows and things are thing are items that exist in real life and granted minecraft does not emulate real life but i know that they want to try to make things these things feel sort of accurate ender pearls do not exist so i don't see a problem with just increasing the speed of an ender pearl just because it's an ender pearl like just in all cases like when you throw it just make it go faster it doesn't mm-hmm. matter the, you know what the momentum is it's an ender pearl who knows how it operates um but i um i was watching uh exuma's video about about the the combat snapshot and he couldn't get the momentum to work at all even horizontally do you have to jump do you know if you have to leave the ground to do it
0: i'm not Uh, i'm not entirely certain it it seems to be the kind of thing that would be boosted by sprinting and then jumping and then if you fling it at the the sort of the zenith of your jump then you'd probably be able to throw it a little further but if he's been testing that and it hasn't worked then maybe it's just not quite implemented the way people are expecting to use it Mm. yeah maybe maybe um I think that's it for the news this week, so uh, we might as well move on to listener email. Thank you folks so much for writing in, as ever. Uh, The email address, if you'd like to email the show, is spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. And we've got a couple of emails to read here.
1: First one comes in from Joseph. Is Minecraft just an architecture simulator? Hi, Johnny and Joel. First off, thanks so much for the podcast. It's great to listen to an in-depth discussion on my favorite game while I don't have uh, a lot of folks to talk to about it in real life. My question, do you think that more often than not, Minecraft gameplay consists of building houses or developing the land around you with farms and even town-like aspects? I think many times we build more buildings than anything else. I know there are different niches of play like Redstone and PvP, but do you think more often than not we are just making buildings? And does that detract from the idea that Minecraft is limitless? Thanks again for the show, Joseph. Great question. Thanks for the email, Joseph. Um, short answer, nope. <laughs> I, I think that uh, check out, uh, I really enjoy these these folks. Check out Elysium Fire on YouTube. Um, it's not their most recent video, but they did like a giant spaceship. And when I say giant, I mean like build limit sized spaceship not too long ago. And granted it's, you know, rendered and it has shaders and things, but um, it is definitely not a building. <laughs> uh, and, and even though they are kind of i guess known for doing a lot of buildings they'll often do very odd shapes like futuristic cyberpunk stuff they'll often do um a lot of older cities and there's buildings but there's also ships like sailing ships from like the 1600s which are a very different shape and and not at all just another house um for me though i think the long answer as an artist you gotta remember that the sheer volume of people playing minecraft not everyone is going to think outside the box sorry not sorry for that Uh, Minecraft lends itself to building things with straight edges, and that makes it easy to make them look good. Um, One of the appealing aspects of Minecraft, even for me as an artist, is that how quickly I can get something down and have it look like a house without a lot of struggle. It looks decent without a lot of work. Um, And I think that most people that play the game being the most popular game on the planet, um, they're building in the same way because that's how they see the world and just like not everyone in your neighborhood can paint a portrait or compose a song not everyone that's playing minecraft can make a spaceship you know or yeah. or um what i can't remember is it pearlescent moon that does all the sculpture stuff i like, know gemini okay.
0: tay does it it was, it does it yeah. as well per- pearl is well known for her organic builds yeah right so. so
1: big sculptures and cool stuff like that like not everybody has that kind of shape analysis um, I think Minecraft helps with that. It also, I think, depends on how long they've been playing with the game. And when I first started playing Minecraft, that's all I did—I built houses and squares and things. And then I decided to try Snake Mountain. And then I was like, oh, "Okay, now, now I understand, you know, yes. what's possible with with the game." So I, I think that's just—it's—it's it's a combination of like, what's your artistic vision like? What's your time in the game? What's your exposure like to different different players? I think is another thing too.
0: Yeah. Um. I think we tend to bring to survival games what we need to survive in real life. Looking at this from a more philosophical angle, we are used to living in traditional-looking houses, so we build traditional-looking houses. And obviously that can vary and your your mind can wander a little bit and you can build a modern house that might be nothing like the house that you live in, but it may be inspired by real-life buildings. Or, of course, you can go off the deep end into fantasy stuff and start building whatever you want to. But seeing an area that is filled with houses kind of becomes shorthand for civilization. To us. If you want to make an area look inhabited, even if there aren't any other players or villagers around or any kind of like civilization to speak of in terms of a population, you still build a town because you want the area to look like people build there. Uh and you know it, it just becomes shorthand for a settlement of some kind needing to have houses. Of course, those houses can look as different or as realistic as you want to because you have such a variety of materials to build in, but I've talked about this before. Some of the easiest to acquire materials in Minecraft are wood and cobblestone, which lend themselves very easily to building houses. And uh, personally, I tend to build on the surface because I like to see progress and get an overview of what I've built. But people often make things like cave bases. If you want to do the survival base route, you can build something that has a really sprawling underground network of tunnels and farms and all of that kind of stuff. And that doesn't necessarily fall in line with a traditional house. Um but I consider those as archetypal of Minecraft than the cobble and oakwood starter houses that you see, because that's just one of the ways to play the game. You can hollow out a cave section, easily light it up to spawn proof it, and you're off to the races at that point. Just look at what Etho has been able to do with his main cave base on his single player Let's Play for the longest time. And I think that's, again, it- it's something that People overlook because it's not as easy to share as a building of a house on the surface is, you know? Like it's, it's difficult to get an overview of quite how big that base is unless there is a particularly cavernous area that you can take a screenshot through. But I do think a lot of Minecraft building tends to revolve around traditional looking structures because they are the easiest thing to relate to. Um, it goes a little off topic, but I've been listening to an RPG podcast where they have started playing a game system called Stillfleet, and it involves future technology. This is sort of 100 million years into the future when humanity has probably evolved out of the state it currently exists in. And the game begins on a giant multi space station made out of living rock. And the human mind can't easily conceive of these things. These are concepts that are, you know, part of this sort of far future speculative science fiction that not everybody's brain returns to and not everyone is going to be able to interpret a picture of that or a build in a minecraft world as instantly getting what that is whereas if you see a house it's four walls and a roof you start drawing them as a child all of that knowledge is kind of ingrained in you as a human being so i feel like the reason people tend to go towards house as the first thing to build not even just in a survival context but you tend to go towards those images because it's what you've known your entire life, more or less.
1: Yeah, I, I'm trying to think about how I build myself in Minecraft, and I definitely lean on the building side. I, I do more, I'm interested in more like grand things, like halls and like nether hubs. Granted, I am doing the modern city, but that's just all buildings. That's kind of like the appeal of doing that it's one of those and the appeal in minecraft of doing the modern city is that everything's got a straight edge to, to it yeah um well i shouldn't say that a lot of modern architecture has arcs and things to it but in the in this in the way that you're adapting a city to minecraft it does help that a lot of the buildings are straight edges but yeah uh yeah a lot of the a lot of the builds in the meadows and stuff that i started off with it's all houses and barns and inns and castles and mills now they have different shapes but still they're buildings yeah the kind of Uh,
0: medieval pastoral kind of look and i i think a lot of the time what you get you you tend to get into later thinking of your massive field of sugarcane as an example of this is Mm -hmm. aesthetic terraforming and you know farm areas like that while they may or may not be realistic to real life are another way of expressing yourself within minecraft that doesn't necessarily revolve around building houses um Mm. same same goes for my my mountain project and and things like that you can you can shape the landscape in a way that obviously we can in real life, but that requires more specialized tools, I guess. Yes, Whereas, yeah. you know, we've, we've, we've only recently begun to do sort of aesthetic gardening and stuff. Uh, I, I guess there's there's examples of that as far as ancient history, but people were building huts and things long before that. So I, it yeah, really goes I, I to I show. Think,
1: I think too that I mean, with the Minecraft environment, while there are other biomes, um, once you're in a large enough plains biome, it does start to look the same after a while. Like, you know, rolling hill to rolling hill doesn't change a whole lot. Um, and I think that one of the experiences that most Minecraft players have, especially if it's not their first video game, if they're, if they play other games, then, then you, you want that experience of that crafted environment of coming around the corner and seeing the sweeping wheat field with the um, wheat mill in the background, the windmill, you know, idea. Um, I feel like stuff like that really pushes people beyond just the building and into the landscaping. Yeah. And, What would you say, what would you say the, the steps are like, as you mentioned with the survival thing, is it like house, then landscape, and then house or building multiple buildings, landscaping, and then does it go into larger structures? Like, is that like the natural progression of like, well, I've done a house, I've done some landscaping, I've done a village, I've done a lot of landscaping, and now I'm on to castle or ravine you know hall or like some other crazy thing do you think that's the progression
0: i feel like some people just skip straight to castle to be honest with you once you start Mm. gathering cobblestone you just think yeah i'm gonna build a giant stone thing and that's a castle to me but i I think it also depends heavily on the culture in which you were raised the kind of stuff you saw on tv you know that kind of you know did you grow up watching braveheart that kind of thing but i i think um Yeah, I I don't know if some I didn't touch landscaping in Minecraft when I was playing on console. I built all kinds of stuff, but I always used to just work with the terrain, except maybe flattening things out. I never created terrain until much later. So I feel like if anything, landscaping it it comes at different times to different people, but it's probably going to be a little bit further down the road once you can visualize something that's going to take a broader stretch of the landscape and transform it. I feel like that seems like a larger project than. Putting together a castle or something like that. Right, no,
1: it, I. Yep, I agree. I, it, I changed my change my tune. Yeah, I agree. Yeah,
0: I think it it just becomes about what you have acquired in the process of going looking for your early game materials. You know, you once you've done enough mining for diamonds that you have a full set of diamond gear, you probably have more than enough cobblestone unless you've been putting it to use somewhere in the meantime. So I think a lot of the time people are more keen on you know you putting all of that stuff to use instead of going digging for mounds of dirt that they can then then turn into a more realistic rolling hill but uh, And, and
1: rolling hills have a different shape language too it's more advanced in terms of your artistic you know vision you know yes castles have straight edges and towers and things like that a lot of the time whereas rolling hills with a voxel game it's not easy to wrap your head around
0: yeah it's a little bit weird how uh how landscaping and architecture become two different prospects when you're dealing with uh, a medium so easily moldable as minecraft uh thanks for the email joseph that was awesome uh moving on we have an email here from ross which kind of tackles the the flip side of this problem what is un-minecraft says hey joel and johnny, nope that feels weird, hey joel and pix, <laughs> always in the discussion of wanted features is the conversation that x feature doesn't feel like minecraft, or it would violate the core of minecraft, i'm one of those players that's returned to minecraft after a long absence, and i think 1.0 was the last time i really played, coming back there are so many features that i would never have imagined would be in minecraft, but each one has done a lot to make the game feel feel more fun, less grindy, and delay the onset of burnout. It's with that I'm shocked when people write off a feature as, quote, not Minecraft. I can't think of any of the commonly suggested features that would ruin the game, even the controversial auto-crafting. I believe there would be a way to implement it in a way that, again, further improves the grind but is rewarding to get. Though not a question about why auto-crafting should or shouldn't be in the game, could you talk about the bigger question, what is Minecraft, and how could a feature ruin the game or not be Minecraft? And thank you both. Uh, PS, do you have any podcast recommendations? So we might be able to get into those a little bit later, but first of all, let's tackle the big question here. What is Minecraft, Joel? And uh, how could a feature not be Minecraft if it was included in the vanilla game? I don't know if we have enough time to
1: answer what is Minecraft in 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 one single episode. But I feel like that's uh, that's
0: the that's the overall goal of this podcast. It feels yeah. Like it. <laughs> see,
1: see see aforementioned hundred episodes as to what is Minecraft. Yes. Uh, I think um, as far as out of Minecraft, you hear this a lot. That what what could you know not be Minecraft or ruin the game. Um, the things that I can speak to that pull me out of Minecraft are usually visual things that mods add, like a four wheeler, you know, a tractor uh forced micro block things like blenders and microwaves that just don't seem to make sense in the culture that i understand as in game in minecraft um i do think that some blocky furniture however can make sense um uh tables and chairs is a data pack by chuck chuck that i use on the citadel now i use an alternate resource pack for it because i felt that The models provided with the data pack were too like i said out of minecraft but i went to like how basic like how simple can i make a chair look like it was make uh, made of oak planks in minecraft and so we've used those in several places around around the citadel and i find it adds quite a bit to the game and doesn't take me out of what i feel is minecraft um any feature to me that comes across as a as a quote-unquote make go button Or a big easy button Mm -hmm. Um, we get email suggestions all of the time for things that listeners feel they would like to see or what would we think would this be great in Minecraft and I often weed them out based on if the idea is something that we can envision developers actually putting in the game and improving gameplay or if it's just someone wanting to change a part of the game they either a don't like or b don't have the time or don't want to invest the time to do and, and if it's one of those latter situations, I don't include the email because it doesn't there's no discussion there because ultimately you and I know the game well enough to be like, eh, that really doesn't work in Minecraft. So it would be a fun mod if you want to play that way. But that doesn't really it doesn't really lead to a good conversation. I think a really good example about this, which you've brought up on the show before is the netherite boat versus the strider right yes netherite boat was the quick off the cuff a lot of people said that that's what they wanted but then what mojang implemented was the strider the strider is the minecraft way of doing things right and then Netherite boat is the quick easy button that everybody wanted i said mm-hmm. not everybody um a, a loud minority will say um and i think that that's kind of like the split and so for me when i think about something that i would want to add to minecraft um something like ambient sounds that we've talked about uh that you know birds chirping when you walk through the forest does not feel outside of the realm of minecraft i hear bees buzzing you know um we hear cows mooing when we go by them Uh, i don't necessarily need to see a thing and that might be where mojang is drawing the line i don't really know but it would be nice to have stuff like that Um, i don't have it on currently because i'm enjoying experiencing the in-game designed nether sounds the ambient sounds But I know that um, one of the things that's available and one of my server mates plays with a fabric mod called Mambiance that adds ambient um, noises to Minecraft in the overworld and the nether. But it was made before the nether update. So the overworld noises are things like, you know, seagulls and waves when you're by the ocean and uh, crickets and stuff at dusk so that, you know, the sun is going down. Just little things like that and you have to adjust the volume and stuff like that but it's it's, it it was fun when i played with it and it it added a bit without breaking the minecraft experience um as far as features like one of the things that i brought up in the past was like some sort of like nether goo that would allow us to move things via liquid in the nether that doesn't destroy them maybe it's you know certainly not as fast as water just seemed like the sacrifice that you would make there is that it would be it would be slime or slow or something and that to me biases i may be because it was my idea feels like it could be very minecrafty yeah whereas i'm trying to think about something else that they could do in the nether that would be similar that would be un and i don't know what that might be um, yeah
0: it's it's very difficult to think of what could not be added to minecraft if you broaden the scope of the game a little bit because so much has been done by the modding community already you want auto crafting it's already been done by a modding team i expect like many times over at this point you look at the uh the kind of stuff you're able to do with mods like applied energistics where you have a computer that you type stuff into and a bunch of stuff gets made in the background so that you can make more solar panels or whatever you know there, there are there are so many different ways that that has been added into the game by a bunch of other folks but i think there are a few core development philosophies that we know the developers have shared with the community in the past which range from things like poisonous potatoes will never have a use uh, which is always a fun one but in more serious terms uh, minecraft has a very low tech world Um, A lot of the stuff that might be accomplished by machinery is instead accomplished by more magical things like, you know, giving the player a haste beacon and an enchanted pickaxe so that they can mine blocks faster. Um, And the other thing being like player tools only being able to break one block at a time instead of having a hammer that breaks a 3x3 space like you would find in Tinker's Construct mods and stuff like that. I, I think there are a few predefined rules about Minecraft and... Beyond that, it really just becomes a a much more subjective, does this feel Minecrafty like? Mm-hmm. And, and that is ultimately up to the developers themselves. I think Minecraft can truly be whatever you want it to be, and the modding community has proven that many times over. I feel like there are many things there that while you can argue that they don't feel like Minecraft, it, you're just saying they don't feel like vanilla Minecraft. You know, they don't feel like the kind of features that you would add to the base game in order to create a balanced experience and ultimately minecraft is a game that has an effort versus reward balance which we've talked a lot about a lot in previous episodes when it comes to nerfs to um you know bugs and bug fixes and things like that which have led to players using um much more effective farms than they really should be able to uh things like zero tick crop farms as an example being something that Uh, allowed the player to harvest a huge amount of resources with a very small amount of materials and i think that's the problem with auto crafting ultimately going back to that part of the question it's it's more about whether the player ultimately feels as rewarded for doing something than just putting it on in the background and going to do something else in the case of building large-scale farms uh and and things like you know mob spawners and that kind of thing then there is a fair amount of building effort that goes into that versus an amount of reward and i don't know if the same reward is present in just going somewhere and acquiring an item by whatever means that allows you to make an automatic crafting table it then just comes down to well this is a very compact setup that you can put anywhere i feel like if you had an auto crafting thing in mind that felt like the amount of effort that you put into something like a large-scale sugarcane farm, then it would have to almost be like a multi-block contraption, and it would have to change the way crafting in the game looks in its entirety in order for it to really feel like it was more than just a one-block solution to something. Going back to what you were saying about the the netherite boat being the easy option to it, I feel like one-block solutions for things are kind of the same, and that, yeah. may, be, that may be why things like you know um more specialized redstone components haven't been added in the past like something that makes your redstone uh divert in various ways and uh adding in things like resistors and other other stuff that can potentially be added into uh redstone to make it more akin to real world circuitry is because people are able to do that by puzzling through the the aspects of redstone that allow for behaviors like that to happen anyway just with the few basic components that you have it's it's yeah. an interesting dichotomy
1: so i have a, a parallel that i can put down and i, I promise it won't take too long because i did talk about it at length on the render distance last week which is available to everybody so it's not just a, a patreon thing uh but uh because of the the time that i've put into satisfactory that's very similar to what happens in that game yeah. Things are crafted automatically. That's the point of Satisfactory. The thing is that the crafting uh, buildings in that game, they don't do everything, right? You, they start off doing only a couple of things. And then as they expand, there's a limit to how many things that they can do. Constructors can only take one item and turn it into something else. And if you want to take two items and turn them into something else, as you often have to do in Minecraft, you need an assembler, which is a different building, right? So think about it in terms of crafting tables. You'd have to have crafting table one, crafting table two, crafting table three. Each one of those can only do one thing. So if you were to do auto crafting in Minecraft, I think a way to make it feel like a Minecraft thing would be to have the crafting table, as you mentioned, only do one thing. So if that crafting table, the only thing that it does is turns logs into wood, well then you have to take that output and do something else with it and so you'd end up with this daisy chain of items going from one crafting table to the next crafting table to the next that's the appeal of satisfactory it's it's i don't want to sit around and craft stuff by hand in satisfactory um, because it takes forever Uh, in minecraft it doesn't Uh, not really and building in satisfactory that that spaghetti you know nonsense and turning that spaghetti nonsense of belts and and contraptions into an efficient self-crafting factory is the game whereas in minecraft one technically it's not just not built for that like you you, just storage systems on their own are are hard on the game Mm -hmm. um and and i think that that's why those one block solutions don't feel very minecraft because they're not fun there's no you have to grind a bunch of materials, but then you just get the one thing. It just kind of goes pop, and then it's, okay, well, now I have the thing. Whereas those, this is why I like, you know, um, and you might like this as well, with sorting systems, it's why I like to see the items. I don't want to hide my sorting system behind a wall. I want to see it spitting stuff out and spinning them around and all that kind of fun stuff.
0: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. It's nice to see the inner workings of something. I've seen people encasing their redstone contraptions in glass because they still want to see all the moving parts. And I feel like that's also- you
1: worked really hard on that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's also part of of Minecraft being low tech is that like, you know, getting to see all of those pistons firing and stuff. It's like, you know, the fascination with the technological side of it. Uh, I'll briefly circle back to something you said about um, things taking you out of the game uh, in terms of like vehicles and stuff like that. Earlier in the week, uh, the Minecraft Twitter account tweeted a Minecraft marketplace map which is construction vehicles by lifeboat it may be a map it may be an add-on i'm not entirely certain but what it does is add in things like bulldozers and wrecking balls and stuff to minecraft on bedrock edition so that you can then build a house and if you don't like it you can demolish it in very dramatic fashion and it gives you different ways to destroy various things that you've built or maybe even construct if it's you know construction vehicles there may be uh, other things that you can do in a more automated fashion using this but the thing I took away from looking at the video was that the model of the wrecking ball kind of crane arm that was swinging around was very detailed and looked pretty cool and even had a kind of voxel aesthetic to it that didn't look entirely out of place in Minecraft but because the hitbox had to be based on an existing Minecraft template of sorts it was clipping through the top of the building you know you you were demolishing bits in the interior of the building and the crane arm was sort of you know it was clipping through the roof of the thing that hadn't yet been destroyed minecraft physics kind of works completely differently to the the way this wrecking ball is supposed to function by knocking down a wall the roof should fall in on it and yet the roof was still there and the the thing itself was just gliding through it like it wasn't there so I feel like there are some things that just break your immersion with the game and I think ultimately that's one of the things that like makes Minecraft uh you know in essence what it is is not feeling like hey this shouldn't be here that that going back to that subjective feeling of the whole thing like the essence of Minecraft seems clear when you are playing the game and if anything takes you out of that feeling of being in a completely different world then that to me feels like it strays away from being what I would consider Minecraft at that point. Mm -hmm. Speaking of what I consider Minecraft, this week's topic is going to be inspired in part by me trying to fill a museum with everything in Minecraft in my survival guide series, but also a Reddit post that I saw by a user named Luna Complex, who was collecting one of every item in Survival Minecraft and storing it all in item frames. So it was a very visual way of looking at things. They were also spawning in all of the creative-only items using commands, so they had a bunch of spawn eggs and stuff. Basically, it looked like they'd just gone through the categories of the creative mode inventory, taken a note of what everything was, and just arranged it visually so you could see it. And they were trying to get hold of absolutely everything. Um... And I wonder, like, looking at the, the, the display of everything there, how many of those things I just overlooked, how many of the things that I would have to remind myself were in the game in order for me to go out and get them for my museum. Uh, so I was wondering, um, in, in terms of using, I, I put it as using every part of the moosh room, uh, what aspects of Minecraft, be they blocks, items, mechanics, and so forth, do you and I overlook in our day-to-day play? So the
1: blocks were the easiest one and I had a couple of things spring to mind, but I did open up a creative menu and kind of go through the blocks quickly and just kind of flag the stuff that I've used or collected only because I'm a completionist and I wanted a chest full of wood and I don't mm-hmm. actually build with it at all. Uh, I don't use diorite uh, very much at all. Um, polished diorite's a little bit better now, but I just don't really find a use for it very often. Mm-hmm. Uh, birch log. So not the wood. Stripped birch wood is great, but the birch log, the black and white texture. Yeah don't tend to use that unless i'm making a tree uh acacia woods jungle woods across the board just don't tend to use them uh default yellow stained glass doesn't (laughs) go with anything yeah uh red sand and sandstone not that i dislike it it's just hard to come by and i haven't had an excuse to use it had i done a western theme build i probably would have had a very different tune Yes. um purple and stone because barf um bricks surprisingly i don't use bricks very often um mycelia uh corals i don't get the corals and use the corals very often honey blocks and honeycombs like the honey block just haven't had a chance to use it really um beehives etc uh jukebox one of the older blocks in the game never use them Mm -hmm. uh and as of yet, not the lodestone, just because of how expensive it is, uh, yeah. and uh, and as per my experience at the top of the show, soon Blackstone is also going to be on this list.
0: Fair enough, yeah, fair <laughs> enough. And I think it'll be difficult for you to overlook Blackstone, considering how much you've built with it in the Nether. But still, yeah. it will be not not at the top of your list when it comes to uh, the blocks you might want to use. I yeah. think it it's interesting that material cost obviously factors into a few of those. Thinking specifically yeah. of the red sand and sandstone example. Honey too. Yeah, and, and honey is is actually quite an expensive one if you want to use large amounts of honey blocks. It really requires a pretty industrial bee farm for you to make more than just a couple of blocks. Um, in my case, I totally agree with uh, Purpa and the more garish designs of glazed terracotta. Um, yeah, I challenge anybody here to find a, a good use for magenta glazed terracotta in a build <laughs> yeah. uh, that isn't just pointing a direction of which way to go because it's the one with the giant arrow on it. Um, But yeah, with that said, I frequently overlook textures that in retrospect, I feel like are really good and really fun to use. Uh, The example that immediately springs to mind are mushroom stems and the spore texture that you get underneath mushroom caps. And I think there's a barrier to practicality there because the stem blocks are so tough to get in large quantities. You just have to keep growing giant mushrooms over and over again. You churn through a lot of bone meal that way. It's like harvesting wood when the leaves are actually a bit of a pain to get rid of. Um, I think people are facing the same sort of problem with warped and crimson now, is that there's just so much nether wart to churn through so that you can get to those the juicy blocks at the center, as it were. Um, and the same with shroom lights, I guess. It kind of it it becomes a bit of a chore to get hold of that stuff. Um, but the stem blocks are really nice looking, I think. There's a very interesting texture you can use there alongside things like bone blocks and quartz and white concrete and you know and it has another there's another option there for using those in walls of houses where you want that kind of mock tudor wattle and daub kind of style white wall there's like a little bit of coloration to it that works well and actually tiles pretty well considering it's a a stem block and a lot of the other logs have a very rounded looking texture with darker edges at the sides Um, the spore texture on the flip side you can make it out of any of the mushroom blocks but you have to place blocks on all of the solid faces that you want to be visible as spore blocks and then take them away again and then you risk breaking the spore block in the process and then you have to go back to square one so those can be a little bit difficult to use and just place down a large area of them and sort of go over them once uh, seems like the most sensible way to do it but those are, are tricky to obtain. I feel like coral is another one that I forget about and don't yeah. tend I don't tend to think about using it much because its reliance on water is such a handicap for building with it. And there there are so few occasions on which I've thought, yeah, I'll use coral for that and, you know, try and figure out a way of installing water in that just so I can use coral. I feel like there are alternative blocks that spring to mind, which maybe goes hand in hand with Mojang's mission to encourage people to preserve coral reefs Uh, but at the same time i feel like is maybe something that we could use a little bit more and i've started using dead coral in some places because i feel like that's it obviously doesn't rely on water being present and is even more versatile than using living coral is in builds um
1: i i think with coral one of the things you'd have to try and do is build very large like i'm thinking about using coral and like really bright colored pillars or something like that where you could hide the water going down the middle yeah and and uh, you wouldn't be able to make it completely square because the corner blocks wouldn't get any water but you could do like a a three by three pillar that had like chamfered corners and that would work but again like you just you have to have a build that would house that like if you just want to use some coral here and there it becomes very very tricky um i i feel like uh even with the data pack on the citadel where we can craft coral blocks by harvesting the coral um and so you could essentially create some renewable coral if you want a bone meal in in a warm ocean and and get it that way so it's not going to destroy the the thing um but i think the the coral too is that we've lucked out and we have like a giant thousand block long you know coral reef on the citadel, but like not everybody has that. And not all coral reefs are close, you know. Yes. You could you could have some very bad luck. And so sometimes not using coral is just like, wow, it just I can't be bothered. You it's know?
0: just an, an availability thing. Yeah. yeah. I I, th- I think on the more common side of the spectrum, what I want to use more of is unglazed terracotta. Uh just mm-hmm. for the colour options. I feel like I've come back around since wanting something as bright as the concrete colour palette so badly that now I think of terracotta as actually a kind of nicer and more subtle, refreshing alternative to concrete, because concrete is so bright. If you look at the difference between yellow concrete and yellow terracotta, the, the yellow has more of a, a kind of a slightly duller, but more sun-baked, more naturalistic looking colour to it, which makes a lot more sense to me. And outside of cyan terracotta, which is of course a really great accompaniment to the grey colour palette, I don't really use terracotta all that much, in terms of like the stained colours of terracotta
1: no i i agree and i i've I've worked in on ways to get past that um one of the one of the tips that i can share that i really like about terracotta is um it, it has a subtle texture it's not really visible all the time but uh certainly more texture to it than the concrete blocks and so it'll mesh better with stone builds often because the concrete just tends to like really pop you know um whereas you want something to look a little bit more weathered the terracotta is the way to go but i found that because the terracotta doesn't stay true to the color in the name all the time like all the black terracotta it's all brown it's not yes. really black yeah and and it's, so it's very warm because of they basically what they've done is they've taken the undertone of the terracotta the kind of like warm the um, base terracotta that you yeah, dig up burnt out of the Mason. sienna, yeah and they've added the color on top of that and so everything kind of has this underlying reddish brown to it yeah uh, so it does muddy some colors unfortunately um, but one of the things that you can do to kind of change that is uh, I call it glazing with a different color stained glass. So for example, uh, I made a hall. I think it was for Cosmic Dancer's Portal on the Citadel, and I've used either terracotta or pink terracotta. I can't remember which. I feel like the pink terracotta was too bright or the terracotta was not pink enough, but by putting pink stained glass over top of it, you're able to get a different color, and then the pink behind the glass is not neon concrete pink, right? It's yeah. it's a nice, soft, earthy pink, that kind of like a rose petal pink that you might find. Uh, I did that because, of course, her biome is like nothing but flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, so stuff like that can be very fun. And glazing stuff with glass works much better on the terracotta for some reason than it does on the concrete. The concrete is so saturated that it just kind of like pushes through the glass and the glass doesn't really affect it very much Mm -hmm. um but you can do some really fun stuff with with terracotta i just again like i wish they would like when i'm going to look for blue terracotta there is no blue terracotta it's all purple right light blue and dark blue terracotta are all purple blocks (laughs) you know and so it's a little bit confusing that way um i used it in my swamp as well green a green terracotta is really great in landscaping and doing swamp stuff like if you want to hide um you want if you don't have like optifine that gives you like the grass side textures I find using green and lime terracotta behind bushes will kind of help it feel like a denser bush because you yeah. don't see the you don't see the dirt texture behind it you know
0: Yeah, and it it works especially well in places where you can't place green concrete powder because it will turn into green concrete. Uh, Yes. So that's also Mm -hmm. a a good tip for it. Uh, As far as items and stuff go, I was surprised looking through the list on the Minecraft wiki of items in the game about how many I actually did use and how many of them were not a surprise to me to find. I feel like going through the blocks, I at least had a few things jump out at me as if to say, oh yeah, that was something I hadn't thought of was in the game and just reminded me. But then... I think I think recently I've I've overlooked dragon's breath and I have started using that in the museum again now to make lingering potions for this dragon display and I needed to gather a lot more of that but that is I think something that you can entirely play the game without you know with without being told that you can bottle the dragon's breath using an advancement you wouldn't even know lingering potions existed and there's no real use for them in the game where there is for splash potions if you want to you know for a start give yourself some potion effects easily but also convert zombie villagers and so forth. Um, and so there are some other things in that list that get overlooked. I think mainly because they only have one use and it's not a common enough use to be necessary. Like rabbit hide is an example for this. You can trade it with leather workers, I believe, and you can put it in a two by two crafting interface and you craft a single piece of leather. But if there are rabbits in your world, cows probably aren't far behind unless you're on some kind of like desert survival map. So I think, you know, you're going to find leather pretty easily anyway, and rabbit hide is almost a redundant item at that stage. Um, likewise, I think rabbit's feet, obviously, while you can uh, brew them into potions of leaping, you also have the jump boost effect available on a beacon. And I feel like the rabbits, I encounter them infrequently enough because they don't spawn in plains biomes anymore that I just forget those items are even there. Uh, the the other thing that springs to mind off the back of that is on the potion side bottles of enchanting which i really think need a buff because <laughs> i feel like they would be used a lot more and valued a lot more if they ever gave you anything in terms of experience but you need about a stack of them to make a dent in any kind of uh tool durability if you're using mending or any kind of experience on your xp bar once you're i i think maybe you could get a, st- a stack of them would take you from level 1 to about level 10 if you were freshly respawned and didn't know how to get back to your items and you wanted some experience for some reason. That's really all I can think of as far as Bottles of Enchanting. And because they're hidden down at the bottom of the Cleric trades now, and I think that was, if not the only way to get them before, they were pretty rare in loot chests as well. I just don't think of them on the average day. So it's kind of fun to bring Bottles of Enchanting back into the rotation. I really think they need a buff in order for them to be uh, more valued by players
1: one of the items that i realized that i've never messed with in the game i found when i was going through my armor and weapons chests after i died on stream and i was regearing uh tridents i just i mean i have one i think i've used it once or twice but like it's not like i've never used it but i really have not carried it with me and had it be part of my game experience at all mm-hmm. um spectral arrows crossbow turtle shell helmet bowls the default yeah. paint the default paintings You know, (laughs) oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, saddles and horses. Now, part of this is because I'm on a a legacy server and we just, you know, we've been up for three years, and saddles and horses are just no longer needed. We've had a lighter for like two and a half years, so we don't need them anymore. Now, saddles and horses are and horse armor are things I'm probably going to be using for decorative purposes in the medieval realm when we start building that on the server because that'll be cool to have horses, you know, in stables and things like that. Um, but as far as that, like, you know. Banners I've used, but very, very seldom. Fishing rods, like, hardly at all. And um, furnace minecarts.
0: Yeah, of course, the the furnace minecarts. I feel like the common theme there is almost like redundancies i guess at this point because you don't use the crossbow because you have a bow and bows are easier to craft from the start of the game and they're arguably more powerful than crossbows except in very specific circumstances tridents likewise you know they're a ranged weapon great they're a melee weapon also great there are two other items in the game that are arguably better at doing both of those things and it's something that they're trying to add a bit more diversity to in the next combat update by making tridents like they are on Bedrock, uh, more effective with impaling against stuff that is in water instead of just waterborne animals that, you know, using trident is often overkill. Um, Yeah, things like spectral arrows. My problem with spectral arrows is that you don't get to use them on anything that doesn't die in one hit if you have a powerful enough bow. The exceptions, of course, being things like iron golems, which I rarely attack. And then the Wither and the Ender Dragon aren't affected by any potion effects, which includes glowing, which you know because it's a potion effect makes sense mechanically but makes no sense from a gameplay perspective because i want to see where the dragon is it's really mm-hmm. difficult to spot in the sky at the end and then yeah just looking at some of the other stuff like saddles and horses and so forth yeah you don't have a need to traverse the overworld on horses typically once you get past a certain point anyway use the nether for fast travel use elytra to fly around i feel like horses at that point become. Something that is for people who are more into horse riding as a you know a, yeah, as in, an acti- in the real world as yeah. an activity, or it becomes something that is used for arbitrary things, for like if you want to set up a race course or something, games, uh, yeah, yeah, that that kind of thing. And I'll obviously- confess
1: that I've I've never used horses. Like I just go from foot to minecart and boat to elytra. I just don't bother with them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And like most of the time traveling on foot and having a decent nether portal network will get you everywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I wonder what can be done in future to eliminate those redundancies or maybe give these items a new lease of life. I think the Trident and the Crossbow might see a bit of a renaissance in the combat update once it arrives. Um, I, yeah, I I despair for the turtle shell helmets. I feel like while it's cool that it exists simply because turtles exist and it gives turtles a reason to exist, and the helmet itself is also a brewing ingredient. Even that leads to a potion that I feel like is used so infrequently because it gives you slowness as well as resistance, which is more often than not, I think it's a funny, it's almost like a joke rather than it is a useful thing to have. It's like, of course, it makes you slow like a turtle, but also hardy like a turtle. Yeah, I, I, f- I feel like there is, if not a missed opportunity there, then at least too much too much of a commitment to the bit, <laughs> I think is is what that suffers from a little yeah. bit. Yeah yeah um, i agree
1: i'd like to see i if they could update mine carts i know i've mentioned this last episode but like if they could update mine carts uh i think that would help with the redundancies for travel like if you're talking about you know foot horse mine cart boat you know elytra i feel like if mine carts had a buff there'd be an argument there horses still get left in the dust i think but but mine carts could be could have a new lease on life with an update
0: yeah um and Going back to the uh, the Lunar Complex post that inspired this discussion to begin with, there are actually some kind of fun items hidden by co- behind commands that I'd forgotten about. And it's the kind of stuff that is only necessarily really going to come to bear in adventure maps, but uh did you know that there are knowledge books in the game i can't remember if this was added yeah before or after uh we we started the podcast i think they were added around the same time we started in in one thirteen, because that's when recipe driven crafting became a thing uh so you're obviously familiar with this but for the folks at home who may not know uh knowledge books are something that you can assign certain recipes to so if you can if you can imagine a, a uh, an adventure map in which Crafting recipes are locked. There is a game rule that you can uh, activate limited crafting. So you can only obtain recipes if you have the ingredients to make something, or if you get one of these knowledge books that unlocks the ability for you to have that crafting recipe. So, for example, you might get some iron ingots and a torch, but until you find the knowledge book that is relevant to the lantern, you cannot craft a lantern. And I like stuff like that. I I feel like it's cool that that stuff is in the game. Obviously has no bearing on the standard default survival game because you don't tend to find those anywhere, but there is potential for those to be used in really interesting ways. I guess the other thing that is like that in a similar way is stuff like, I mean, command blocks, I guess, being one of those things that you can only get through through creative and commands is something that I, I sort of forget about in the game now, especially since data packs have kind of taken over from the functionality of those and also things like the debug stick <laughs> which you know in in some ways doesn't necessarily need to be available to players to begin with but i think players have found that interesting enough to play around with for the purposes of you know switching around block states so that they can make texture packs more easily and that kind of stuff
1: yeah and i think that that kind of thing is is Cool, like for example, one of the um, blocks that we have the ability to craft in the Citadel is the petrified slab. Yeah, uh, so this is a wood slab, but it's petrified in that it's got a blast resistance similar to um, and a hardness similar to cobblestone. Um, and because you cannot craft it in survival, uh, what it does is it gives you an opportunity to create a slab with a different texture in Minecraft without sacrificing another slab. So you don't have to, you know, a lot of people would say, you know, use something like endstone that I would never build with to create this. But if you do that, then anybody that doesn't have the right texture pack sees the world and sees endstone everywhere where they're like, why is that there? And so what we've done is that we've created a coarse dirt slab. So we've, when you craft it in the data pack, it's three coarse dirt in the same way that you would make slabs, but you get the petrified slab. And then the custom texture pack says, oh, this gets a coarse dirt texture. So it means... On some of our rustic paths, you can have a graded hill without having it be steps. So you can have dirt go up in slab increments, half block increments instead.
0: I think this discussion is one that we're probably going to have ongoing into the future Is just like, what have we been overlooking about Minecraft lately? And it'd be great to get some listener feedback on this, of course. If you think there is something that uh, you overlook in Minecraft on the regular, or if you feel like you're one of the rare people who really uses every part of the game, let us know at spawnchunkmail@gmail. at gmail.com com. That's going to be it for this episode of the Spawn Chunks. Thank you so much for listening. You can find out more information about the show and links to some of the stuff that we've talked about today, including all of those change logs for the pre-releases and release candidates, at thespawnchunks.com. The music for the show is composed by me, and the Spawn Chunks is proud to be a listener supported podcast. If you're getting some value out of the show, why not consider putting some value back in? You can visit patreon.com slash spawn chunks to join our community, where pledging at any level will get you an invite to our patrons only Discord chat and gets us closer to our next goal of having a hangout with that Discord chat every month, just shooting the breeze about what we've been doing in Minecraft lately. We are currently at two hundred and four patrons, which is another increase from last week. Our and we want to welcome another content engineer. We have Dilken Seven, who has just joined us. Thank you so much for pledging your support. And special thanks go out to you and the other content engineers, Cameron Sigelski, Greena Kanak, J.D. Williamson, and Yitz for your support on this episode.
1: Sharing the podcast with your friends is the easiest way to support the show. You can find us at The Spawn Chunks on Twitter and Instagram, but a personal recommendation is by far the best way to share the podcast with your friends. Poke a friend in the arm and say, hey, I like this podcast, and here is where you can find it. You can email the show at spawnchunkmail at gmail.com. Subscribe for free on iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. Leave us a review and a rating on the Apple Podcast app or your Spotify or favorite podcast media platform. It's a great way for strangers to discover the show. They're just looking for Minecraft and uh, the better that we are reviewed, the more chances are we file in their feeds. The RSS feed is on thespawnchunks.com and the patron-only RSS feed is on the Patreon
0: page where you can listen to the Render Distance, the extended version of the podcast. My name is Johnny, but online I go by Pixlriffs, and you can find most of what I do at youtube.com slash where I attempt to make sense of this crazy and wonderful game in a series called The Minecraft Survival Guide. I also stream three days a week on Twitch, doing behind-the-scenes work for The Survival Guide mostly, and I'm also the voice of the unofficial Hermitcraft Recap, which you can find through a quick YouTube search. Aside from that, I'm at Pixariffs on both Twitter and Instagram. Joel, where can people find you online?
1: Everything I'm doing online is at joelduggan.com. My illustration portfolio is there. Links to podcasts I do are there. The Citadel Cafe is there. And you can go to thecitadelcafe.com to listen to that podcast about fantasy, entertainment, and sci-fi fun. You can also follow me at joelduggan on social media. Super easy to find. Hope you like food, because that's what Instagram is all about. And I will point you towards twitch.tv joelduggan, where I've been doing double-header weekends of Minecraft and Satisfactory. I think you'll like it.
0: Thanks for visiting the Spawn Chunks. The world outside is infinite, and that's worth preserving.